0: Hi everyone! Welcome to the It's Growing Season podcast. I'm your host Maggie and this series will be about all things related to real growth, true health and wellness, and learning to love and care for yourself. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope this podcast inspires you to invest in yourself more and to never stop growing into the best version of you. So without further ado, let's jump right into the show! everyone welcome back to the it's growing season podcast thank you so much for joining me today for episode 39 where i have a conversation with jackie who's also wheeze oats on instagram and i am so so happy to have connected with her through instagram Um, i just feel like we became fast friends and we're just so supportive of each other she is so supportive of me and my content i'm so grateful for her and i'm just really happy that You know, we decided to record a podcast together in this episode, we talk about eating disorder recovery as a climber, Jackie is a climber, and it's just so cool what she does. We talk about misconceptions in sports, especially weight gain as an athlete, uh, as a recreational athlete, and when healthy becomes an obsession, you know, especially coming from a restrictive place with food and maybe over-exercise. And we talk about how to have diversity in food and this relates to her oatmeal page and being in, and not being afraid of experimenting with different foods, especially in the eating disorder recovery and when conquering fear foods. We talk about body acceptance and most importantly, and one, one of my favorite parts of this conversation was talking about one of her most recent blog posts, which is titled, Recovery is a Choice, the Lessons Learned. And towards the end, we talk about the le- some of the lessons that she learned from recovery and how recovery really is a choice and we have to be committed to recover because no one else can recover for you other than yourself. I am so excited to share this with you all. I hope you enjoy and you can find all of Jackie's links in the show notes below. And again, I would really appreciate it if you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would help me a lot. Um, So yeah, without further ado, let's dive right into the show and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi Jackie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited for this. We've been (laughs) friends online for so long and finally connecting and talking about you know our relationship with food and exercise on this podcast Um, i'm just super excited to have you and before we dive into our conversation could you please introduce yourself a little bit so the listeners can get to know you first
1: yeah sure um so my name's jackie i'm 21 years old um i'm a university student at ryerson and i'm from canada uh so maggie and i live in different countries and met through instagram I'm also an avid climber. I got into climbing about probably seven years ago at this point and it's basically been like my obsession. And I also do a lot of cooking and baking, especially since uh, the pandemic started. And I started an oatmeal page, which is how I found Maggie and her podcast. Uh, and that's been keeping me busy for the past few months. And yeah. Also, I am going through recovery for an eating disorder and healing my relationship with food and exercise. so
0: yeah mm-hmm. And before we were we started recording, we were talking about how Instagram is like a double-edged sword. but I feel like both of us we've been trying to use Instagram in the more in a more positive way and mm-hmm. the fact that we're able to find each other and connect over something like our healing journey, I think is so powerful and that's what I love about Instagram. And how did you, how did you start your page? Did it, was it something that contributed to your recovery or was it something that you just did for fun?
1: Uh, Honestly, I did it for fun. I've always loved oatmeal or actually not always. I started liking oatmeal a couple years ago and I just had it so much. Um, And I started having fun with it and like making different sort of combinations and trying different things on it. And all my friends were like, you have to start like an oatmeal blog or an oatmeal page or something. And then one day I just finally decided to do it. And it became something really fun for me to experiment with. And I also started posting recipes outside of just oatmeal too. So it let me experiment with food a lot. Um, And it also introduced me to a ton of people that were going through a similar situation as me. Um, and made me feel less
0: alone yeah I was stalking you and I didn't realize you started this page this year right Mm -hmm. just a couple months ago and it blew up so fast I thought you had done this for so long but I just love all the recipes that you make
1: I actually turned my personal Instagram into the oatmeal Instagram so I like archived all my old posts I did have like a few followers to start off with so but it did I did gain a lot of following, I
0: guess, in the past Mm -hmm. few months. Yeah. So what was your relationship with food like growing up and how did that shift over the years?
1: I would say I had a pretty good relationship with food growing up. I really liked food and uh, my mom, she's Asian and I feel like Asian culture, we love our food. Uh, So that was something that was really special to her. And I was also like a pretty skinny child growing up. So I had a fast metabolism and would eat a lot, but, um, and people would make comments like, oh, you eat so much, but you don't gain weight. Um, I had one friend actually say like, oh, one day your metabolism is just gonna slow down. And I didn't really think anything of it, but it definitely like s- stuck in my mind. Cause I'm like, oh, hmm, maybe that's something I should worry about. And I think once I started going through puberty and gaining a bit of weight, Uh, people, my family mostly started noticing it. And that's when I became very hyper aware about what I was eating, how my body looked, and it sort of just escalated from there. I started um, doing research about exercises I could do to lose fat in one part of my body that I didn't like. Yeah, it kind of just snowballed from there. Uh, That was around like grade 10 at 15 ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then I, I became vegan. And that was actually like, for environmental reasons. I didn't really think about the nutrition aspect, but I did make it a point to do it right. Like I wanted to get all the nutrients and do the vegan diet right. So I did my research, but that got me on the like nutrition side of the internet, which has can be toxic in a lot of ways as we know. And so there was a lot of YouTubers promoting certain diets, uh, for example, high carb, low fat. And I sort of hopped on that trend because I was like, oh, this sounds cool. Everyone's hyping it up. There must be a reason for that. Um, But I think it ended up doing just way more damage than good for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that community the youtube community and just like the high carb low fat or different like jumping on different diets every couple of months is so toxic because they have such a huge following especially young impressionable like teenagers but the fact that they hop out of it and then their followers are just like what what is going on that this worked for you um it just shows how how unsustainable these diets are and how like easily influenced we are by just you know people who claim to know what they claim to know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah. And I think that could be the tricky thing with having young people on the internet um, because we're so impressionable and we read anything and usually believe it. Then there's like these older people that probably that don't really know what they're talking about, but still uh, act as they do. And then we just believe them. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah and how did your relationship with food evolve over time and how, what does it look like now?
1: I, so basically, um, I think when I started doing all this research about health, learning about nutrition, I started to unintentionally restrict my calories. And I think my body's natural reaction was to have these binge tendencies As time went on, I started having more of these occurrences where I would come home and I would just be like so hungry at night. And then I would be like, I'm only having a small snack, like I can't have any more than that. And then I would just binge eat and feel so guilty. Um, And then it would, I would feel bad the next day about it and kind of think about it for the next day. Uh, And then I would like eat a little bit less. And then the cycle would just repeat itself. And that went on for like a year, maybe two years. And the whole time I just thought like I had a problem with overeating, but I didn't even realize that like, I was actually like losing weight all throughout that time, even though I was binge eating, but I wasn't tracking my weight. But like every time I would get on the scale, I'd be like, oh, that's lower than last time every few months. But in my mind, I was like, oh, I have a problem with overeating. And then during the quarantine, I, I kind of changed my mentality. I was like, okay, I don't need to binge eat. I can eat what I want when I want, which is a good thing. But I think I went, I still had the mentality that I was overeating. So I made my portions pretty small and still small, like they were before. But I just cut out the binge eating and it turned into restricting. I ended up losing a lot of weight and training a lot. So it benefited my training for a little bit before my health went down the drain. And that's kind of when I knew I had to start taking recovery seriously.
0: Yeah. And what was the transition for you, like, in terms of committing to recovery and finally, like, letting go of trying to control, you know, what you eat, how you exercise. And I'm sure it's, like, difficult to be able to say like, Oh, I fully don't like, I'm not trying to control everything anymore, but it's like a healing process. But what did that, you know, what did that commitment look like to you?
1: It's hard because I think I only like dipped my toes into it for a long time. I didn't fully dive into recovery until about five months ago because I, when I started getting, gaining progress in my training, I feel like I started getting more recognition in the climbing community and that fueled my, I guess, eating disorder because I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to risk losing those gains that I had made even though like I knew my health was getting worse. And if I kept going, then all everything I was doing wouldn't be worth it in the end. But yeah, I would say like, just being finally getting sick of the, the way that I was living made me want to properly commit to recovery. Cause I was like, this is not the way that I want to live forever. I don't want to be scared of food forever. I don't want my life to revolve around my performance. And I want to be able to live and enjoy myself like everybody else. Cause for a long time, I didn't believe that I deserve to enjoy myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were saying how when you started losing weight, you actually gained more recognition and you performed, you thought you performed better. But that's that's the inter- interesting part about sports, right? And I guess in climbing, because um, I think in an earlier conversation, we're saying how the lighter you are, the easier it is for you to climb. So how are you able to like navigate the difference between, I guess, the struggle between like needing to be lighter in order to perform better versus actually committing to your recovery? Because typically recovery comes with weight gain and that necessary weight gain.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really, really tough for me. But honestly, that's not true that you have to be lighter to be stronger or to be a better climber. I think that's just a misconception in our sport. Climbing is still a, a young sport. It's a lot, yeah. It's a lot younger than most sports, and I think that weight is overly emphasized because it's just like this shortcut to getting stronger. Uh, so a lot of people will diet for their trips if if they're doing a climbing trip or a competition, and it helps them get it helps them get stronger for a little bit for the time that they're going on the trip or the competition. Um, because their strength to weight ratio changes. I don't know if you've heard about that, but I guess it's like more pop. It's more talked about in weight sports like gymnastics, climbing. I don't even know, but yeah, your like weight to strength ratio is very important. For me, it was it was hard to realize that being light wasn't actually helping me, and that if i wanted to truly perform and like be in the sport long term i had to be at a weight that was healthy for me and that my body was happy at what whatever weight that would be and a weight that like i could eat f- foods that i liked and not feel like i have to miss out on everything to maintain my weight i don't know i was li- actually listening to a podcast of yours with uh Rosie i think her name is rose rose And yeah, you're talking about like set point a little bit in that one, like finding your weight that you're happy at, uh, your body's happy at. And then I was just thinking about that today and the whole set point theory, I feel like I've been coming to believe that or like coming more to, to terms with my own body's set point.
0: Yeah. And I, I bet it's really hard because what you said when you were younger, a lot of people were commenting on how oh you had such a fast metabolism and how you're able to eat so much without gaining weight, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that's in a way like, like trauma from our childhood because you think you're gonna be like that forever, but no, you're not. You're not meant to look like your teenage or your preteen self. That's just not realistic. Our bodies are meant to evolve over time, and yeah, yeah. But we if if we're constantly restricting ourselves. Then our bodies aren't gonna, our bodies aren't gonna be happy. our bodies are supposed to be at a weight where we can eat without having to obsess over calories or how like exercise. It's just a very unsustainable way of living.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. The body just does not like deprivation of any kind. Yeah. Yeah, I think getting those kind of comments when I was younger made me identify with being skinny, and I really just wanted to hold on to that because people made it out to be a good thing. Like they're like, oh, you're so skinny. Like that's a good thing. And I didn't wanna lose that. So then when I started gaining weight, because like, as you said, you're never you're not gonna be in your teenage body forever. You're not gonna look like you're 14 forever. And that's not a bad thing. But when I started gaining weight, I was kind of alarmed because like even my mom told me that my family was making comments about my body. And so, yeah, that was definitely damaging.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think identifying with your, with your past body or the body you had when you were struggling with an eating disorder is so dangerous because then it's so hard to let go of that because weight gain is most of the time necessary for people who struggle with food deprivation. So letting go of that and understanding that what your body looked like when it was smaller has nothing to do with your self-worth. And you need to gain weight in order to gain freedom from food. And again, you're not supposed to look like your younger self. You have to gain weight. But with the weight, you're also gaining happiness and freedom.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think like weight gain was probably the best decision that I've made ever. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think like most people, the majority of people with eating disorders have a fear of weight gain. Like That's the main driving factor. Of your eating disorder. And that was definitely mine. Like I didn't want to recover because I knew I would have to gain weight. And yeah. like if I was gonna conquer those foods that I feared so much, then I'd have to be comfortable with eating like energy dense food, which means yeah. you're gonna gain weight. And I think like once I I did that and I gained weight and realized that I'm fine and actually things are getting better, that made me want to keep going. Although like the hardest part is probably seeing people and them not realizing that you're actually doing something
0: healthy for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about how there's this fear of going back into the real world after isolation, (laughs) because I feel like a lot of the, a lot of people have been doing inner work during quarantine and this isolation period. So there has been, I don't know, how long has it been? Like a year or two? I don't know. Where has time gone? But Mm -hmm. a year, a year and a half where you just haven't been seeing people in real life as frequently as you used to. And so when you've been doing the inner work and healing from disordered eating, that weight gain, that necessary weight gain, people might not know what went on. Like people might not know, you know, why you had to gain weight. People could associate that weight gain with something bad when in reality it's so necessary and it's so important but I feel like you don't have to justify yourself. You kind of just have to sit with it, sit with that mild discomfort and then be okay with it because no one has to understand where you're, um, what you're going through other than yourself. Like that is the most important thing. And just trusting that this process is all worth it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trusting that you're doing something good for yourself and yeah, just trusting yourself. Like, I think that's another thing that weight gain did for me is the ability to trust my body. Yeah. I think in my eating disorder, I just lost trust in myself. And I, I stopped listening to my intuition completely. I just started like, I don't know, just treating my, my body just really badly, like making it do everything that I didn't want to be doing.
0: Yeah. And in a blog post, a recent blog post of yours, I love what you said about how you didn't want to call your eating disorder what it was and admit that you had a problem because you knew that was when the real work would start. And that's so true because a lot of times we avoid those problems because it's comfortable. Like you're comfortable with having an eating disorder because you have control and you know like everything that's going into your body. But that temporary control and happiness is so temporary. And mm-hmm. then you realize that there are so many things you're missing out on you're missing out on a social life. You're missing out on like true freedom, true food freedom, being able to enjoy all these foods. So I want to talk about that discomfort. Like how do you overcome the discomfort of starting recovery and then, and then starting weight gain when you are so comfortable with what you had before? That makes sense.
1: It was hard. Honestly, I feel like I was almost forced into recovery because Just my mental health mostly, my physical health was really bad, was pretty bad, but like my mental health was really on the decline and I just had no energy left to do anything. I was so exhausted. So I was kind of forced into it and had to just push through and it was really uncomfortable, but I feel like you just have to allow those, all the emotions like just let go of resistance. And keep reminding yourself over and over again that y- you're doing something really good for your health right now and it's going to be worth it, it's going to be worth it like just keep telling yourself that and I think like having a really good support system is so important. I'm really thankful because my parents were really understanding of what I was going through and I told them everything I was feeling and they kept telling me to keep pushing through, even when I wanted to give up um, and also had a dietitian that was kind of guiding me through it and telling me that it's okay to be eating a lot. It's okay to be experiencing extreme, experiencing extreme hunger, or especially after like restricting these certain foods for so long. And also it made me realize like who my true friends are, like people, that people that stuck around even when I did change. I think it was, I was really resisting recovery because I thought people liked me as I was. And I knew that going into recovery, I would change. And I'm like, I didn't
0: know if these people would still like me afterwards. Yeah, that's when you realize who your true friends are, when you go through that shift, but they're still there for you. Because at the end of the day, you realize that your true friends aren't there because of the way you look. They're there because of who you are on the inside. And I just think the fact that we are just so anxious about food and having to be so anxious around food is such a is such a is such a sad thing because food is so something to be enjoyed, which is why I think your oatmeal page is so cool because you add so much diversity to everything. When I was trying to overcome a lot of fear foods, that was something that was actually scary to me. Like having a lot of diversity and experimenting with different foods. And oatmeal, I think in general is. I don't know. I think everyone's different, but in general, like, I think it's a safer food because it, it's, it's deemed as healthy in the, in the wellness Mm -hmm. community, but then all those toppings and then like being able to be flexible in how you eat is something that's hard. So that's what I think I'm so inspired by what you do because you give people a lot of inspiration of how to diversify the things that they eat. So they're just not, they're not just like stuck on eating the same things every day. Cause that's something that I I personally struggled with. I struggled a lot with breakfast, like the first meal of the day and only allowing myself to eat certain things and then never being experimental with the toppings. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) if that's something you've experienced before.
1: I would say, yeah. I mean, I think the cool thing with my oatmeal page is that it's sort of rid myself or I got rid of that all or nothing mentality because I would in the past I would want everything to be perfectly healthy if I was going to have something unhealthy then it would be all unhealthy and then if I wanted something but I would feel guilty about it if it was unhealthy so I started putting like Oreos on my oatmeal and chocolate and I'm like I can eat this and I'm fine I don't need to be so all or nothing about my meals yeah um so yeah
0: that's that's been really helpful I never thought about that because I think I have that mindset too where it's all or nothing if you want to eat unhealthy the entire thing has to be unhealthy but if you want something quote-unquote healthy then nothing can be unhealthy but life isn't supposed to be like that you know you're Mm -hmm. allowed to have balance and you're allowed to have chocolate for breakfast you know it doesn't have to be something that is reserved for after dinner or you know you just worked out and you just like you deserve that treat you don't need to justify what you eat because the only thing that is important is how you feel and you know how Mm -hmm. that food makes you feel and whether you enjoy it because it's so sad to be restricting food when food is such a huge source of happiness for a lot of people
1: yeah. During my eating disorder, I wouldn't allow myself to enjoy food. I was like, yeah. food is fuel. It's only supposed to energize you. So it's, we're not supposed to enjoy it. But yeah. I saw this post um, on this page called the nutrition tea. tea? Yeah. The nutrition mm-hmm. tea. And she was like, we have taste buds for a reason. And I'm like, that's so true. I never really thought about that. Like we do have taste buds and things can taste really good. So why not take advantage of that?
0: Yeah. Food is fuel, but food is also a source of enjoyment. And that's the thing with being athletes, right? You think you're always saying like, oh, food is fuel. You have to nourish your body properly. So that's also like an all or nothing mindset where if you want to commit to a sport and you want to perform well, you can only eat healthy foods and you can't enjoy yourself. But we have taste buds for a reason and food is meant to be enjoyed and everything in moderation. I think the tough part about being a female athlete is feeling that pressure to look a certain way. I mean, with all athletes, but I think especially as a female athlete, that pressure to look a certain way and then wanting to perform a certain way, training and eating. So that training and eating and the obsession with eating healthy and then over-exercising is easily people don't really think twice about it because you're an athlete so in a way it's kind of like a an excuse for you to do that kind of stuff because people wouldn't really question it since you're training for something
1: Mm -hmm. yeah for sure I definitely experienced that I was like yeah it's for performance like I'm eating this healthy because I want to perform but I was harming myself and I was doing so much training and not fueling for it and yeah I've definitely like changed my whole mentality around training and food And yeah, I still I still definitely question my whole recovery process a lot because I've had to sacrifice my strength and that's been really hard because I feel like I have had to like take a step back from the climbing community and just the sport like has changed completely for me, but I do have faith that it's going to be worth it and that I'm going to find my strength again in a healthier place
0: yeah because climbing will always be there but you have to take care of yourself first because if Mm -hmm. you don't take care of your body you're not going to be able to enjoy climbing in the future and I guess the tough part with eating is that you want to eat for for fuel but if you diet and you eat less in order to like feel lighter and to perform better like you said it's it's not going to be helpful in the long run because you're not fueling your body properly and you're not giving it enough energy in order to stay, sustain yourself in the long run. So I'm not super familiar with what you said earlier about the ratio, but um, you were saying how it's a very short-term thing, right? Like when athletes go into competition.
1: Yeah, usually it's short-term, like they'll diet, lose a couple pounds or whatever, and then yeah. it'll help them feel a bit lighter um, when they're going up on the wall. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's short-term usually and also i feel like it's probably a pretty outdated method and maybe not useful like it it works but i feel like i feel like it's not useful and the body i don't think the body really likes that like i don't think the body really likes when you lose a lot of weight rapidly especially rapidly
0: yeah because your body's like what is going on you know i need to get this fuel back and then who knows what will happen After that dieting phase, maybe you'll gain it back, or maybe you'll gain it back even more. And then just this really negative cycle. I mean, I do think that there are people who have, you know, just such a healthy relationship with food and exercise that it doesn't affect them in that way. But for people who are a lot more sensitive to diet culture and wanting to heal their relationship with food, I don't think that cycle is something that won't negatively impact them.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you heard of the starvation experiment?
0: Yes, I have.
1: What's it called again?
0: Like Minnesota (laughs) starvation Experiment.
1: Yeah. So I just wonder, like when you do go through that dieting cycle, like you just, it messes up your bodily cues. And I mean, all those men were like perfectly healthy and didn't care about food at all. And then after the experiment, they were super obsessive about food. They were concerned about their body image. And so it just goes to show that depriving yourself affects everybody negatively. And even if it's like a short-term diet, it still does things to your brain. It still messes with your brain.
0: Yeah, and for people who haven't heard of it, I think it was an experiment for like a war or something, right? To see mm-hmm. how less food or like a lack of food impacted people. But the interesting thing was how obsessed they became with food after because they didn't have that relationship with food before. But after, I think I heard from a podcast that like some of them became chefs (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they were so obsessed with food. And I find that so interesting because in my life and when I was um, earlier on in my distorted eating, I became so obsessed with food where I wanted to become a nutritionist. (laughs) And I wanted to like study so much about nutrition because I thought I was interested in that kind of stuff when in reality I was just obsessed with my body and because I was depriving myself of food so much so I everything I thought about was revolved around food you know what I had the day before what what my last meal was when my next meal is And it's so Mm -hmm. interesting because these were grown men these grown men had like such a healthy relationship with food but then depriving yourself of this affects every single person regardless of age gender you know it affects everyone in a way where it's so hard to explain, but then like food is just something that you need. And if you deprive yourself of it, you become obsessed over it. And then it just starts (laughs) ruining your life.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. And I want to go back to that blog post because you made such such wonderful points. That blog post was called Recovery as a Choice, Lessons Learned. And first of all, I just think it's so important to recognize that recovery is a choice and Recovery isn't going to happen naturally if you don't put in the work. Like you have to commit yourself to it, and you have to hold yourself accountable for pushing through that discomfort and being okay with the highs and lows, but just trusting in the process. So I think I just love the title. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Thank you. <if, laughs> and there were several lessons I don't want to go over, go through them one by one. But well, I didn't, I didn't put down all the lessons, but just a couple ones that really resonated with me. The first one was if i have to restrict how much i'm eating to maintain a certain weight it's not my optimal body weight so that just has to do with like you know set point theory right as we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier and how if you're if you're restricting then your body's just not simply not meant to be at that weight and you have to accept it
1: yeah yeah like if your body changes and you gain weight because you're adequately fueling your body and giving it what it needs then that's what was supposed
0: to happen yeah. yeah, but oftentimes we don't trust it because we trust an influencer more. We trust yeah. diet culture so much more than our body's wisdom. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But our body knows best and our body will always win.
0: Yeah, for sure. And this one has to do with being an athlete body fat is not the enemy. I thought I would only be my strongest self if there was virtually no fat on my body. My whole goal shifted from training to get stronger to training to burn calories and get leaner. Our bodies need a good amount of fat to function optimally. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I became really focused on my weight and body fat when I was struggling a lot because people noticed that I was lean and complimented me on it. They're like, wow, you're looking so strong and in my mind i was like oh i guess i have the body you have to have a certain body to be strong but i think now i realize that that's not true and usually the people that are super lean are probably not eating enough and like as you said i'm uh in the beginning of the podcast with like all these influencers that were promoting a certain diet, and then later they come out and say that they were struggling with an eating disorder. Yeah. I'm finding like all these influencers that I looked up to that were super lean, I, I end up coming up out, and they're like, "I had an eating disorder. I was under eating. So <laughs> sorry for influencing you guys."
0: I know. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so common nowadays too, because I think more and more people are more open to talking about eating disorders, right? But what about the whole past like i don't know a couple of years where you were promoting this kind of stuff and yes obviously like everyone makes mistakes and everyone deserves to heal but i think that's why it's so important to be mindful of the things that you post and whether you're promoting something that is negative and can really influence young girls i see so many influence coming coming out saying i struggle with an eating disorder and then a couple of videos back, they're like, "You, know, you gotta try this diet. Enough. You gotta <laughs> yeah. try this diet, and you know you gotta eat this like a certain way." And it's, oh, it makes me so mad. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. Which is why we have to be so mindful of how we
1: how know, we use post the internet and you yeah and consume the internet because I feel like people are probably not gonna change at least at the moment, and so I think we need to be really mindful of the way we use internet. We use the internet
0: and remember that we don't know the whole story when we're looking at posts. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And just going back to that lesson, you said that your whole goal shifted from training to get stronger to training to get to burn calories again, leaner. So when you focus so much on burning calories and getting leaner, personally, in my experience, when I bec- I was super obsessed with you know exercising, and I also played a lot of sports growing up, as someone who isn't committed to like a certain any specific sport now and just trying to heal my relationship with movement, I think when you're able to shift the focus from not having to think about how many calories you burned or the food that you ate the night before when you're working out is so liberating because then you realize that exercise is just so good for your mental health and it makes you feel so strong. It allows you to move your body in different ways And that whole, I don't know, recently, because I've been um, away from home and just in a new environment, I think that starting to move freely and then recognizing that, you know, I'm not thinking about calories when I'm moving, I'm actually just enjoying the movement. And in the past, for example, if I ate like a chocolate cake the night before, and then I exercised the next day, I would be thinking about that cake, because I was just be thinking about whether I completely burned those calories. But now I can- enjoy the cake and move when I want to and not think about that. Mm -hmm. And I just hope that everyone who has struggled with their relationship with exercise can eventually find that freedom. And it's just so liberating because movement becomes a source of joy rather than something that you have to force your body to do in order to compensate for eating.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think we shouldn't be doing things that are so negative for us. Like, I feel like in the past I, I was also the same. I would go to the gym to justify like what I ate. Yeah. It was just like a very negative experience. Cause like the whole time I was kind of beating myself up. I'm like, Oh, I got it. I got to do these ab exercises so I could get abs. But then when I found climbing, it was really a big switch for me because I actually enjoyed this sport and it was actually fun for me. Like I, it didn't feel like exercise at all. And then it was a big shift when I quit the gym and just started climbing because I'm like, oh, I might lose fitness. Like I might not be, I might not have a good body anymore because I'm just climbing now. But then I realized that climbing is a sport. It's actually exercise. I never really saw it as exercise because I feel like a lot of climbers kind of, do it as it's like a lifestyle like you don't really care that much about the exercise part of it but then it turned pretty toxic when I started focusing so much on weight and performing because I thought I've, I lost weight and I saw my performance go up and I'm like oh it must be because I lost weight so I'm like okay let's keep this up let's keep going and I started really putting way too much emphasis on weight and body fat and it really just ruined the whole sport for me
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's so important right to recognize that sports are meant to be enjoyed and once you know that mindset shifts onto something else that's not the sport you realize that oh my gosh this is ruining my experience so That's why it's so important to heal because then you can regain that joy and enjoyment in doing the sports that you love. And also, exercise doesn't just come in the form of going to the gym. Exercise comes in so many different ways and movement, joyful movement. Like walking is a form of exercise, but people don't typically don't associate walking with exercise, but it's such a great way to move your body. Like you don't have to Do strenuous exercise every single day in order to say that you've accomplished a workout. There are so many different ways to move your body.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: And this one has to do with trusting yourself and self trust, like we said earlier. Um, this lesson that you said is there's no right way to be to do anything, no right way to be an athlete, no right way to recover, no right way to eat, no right way to live recovery taught me that I don't have to follow society's rules. I can simply trust myself and live life my own way. I love that because recovery is not linear and you have to, you you have to follow your own path. The thing with Instagram and just following a lot of influencers is that it's great because you can seek inspiration from them, but then sometimes if you follow everything they do to the T, you find that it's not working for you and then you're wondering what's wrong with yourself but there's actually nothing wrong with you because everyone's path is different so I just love what you said about there's There's no right way to do anything
1: so true yeah yeah I,
0: I my dietitian was
1: talking to me one day and she was telling me that fitness doesn't have a look and that was something that I hadn't thought about before I thought like oh you you have to be very lean to be fit like fitness is lean but in reality, like fitness doesn't have a look. And yeah, like we've been saying the whole podcast, like it's about how you feel
0: and yeah. your your state of health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And talk about your dietitian. I think this is the perfect transition into the next lesson. Because I remember you were telling me about how your dietitian was saying, was it her? Is it a, her, her, yeah, yeah. Herself. She eats desserts. And you were like, oh my gosh, dietitians can eat desserts. <laughs> <And> yeah. Then- <laughs> And then this leads me to the next lesson that you mentioned that there's no such thing as bad foods. You used to obsess over clean eating, cutting out all foods that even had mildly bad reputation like oil, sugar, gluten, etc. And this left your options few. So your diet ended up consisting of mostly fruits, vegetables, and greens. and your ultra high fiber diet left you perpetually backed up. There's such a thing as too many vegetables, my friends, and also life is too short to be scared of cookies. I love that so much.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I was eating so many vegetables and then
1: my dietitian was like, okay, you got to cool it with the vegetables. That's why you're backed up because you're eating way too much fiber. Yeah. My dietician definitely taught me a lot about health and how there's all these like bad reputations with certain foods. But the reality is that there's no evidence that shows that they're actually harmful for you. And the most stressful thing is being stressed out about food.
0: Mm. Yeah, Yeah. being stressed out about food, feeling anxious over food. That's the actual unhealthiness with your relationship with food and oh my gosh the just the high fiber diet i feel that so much because that was what i experienced too like i got such bad stomach aches because i was just eating fiber like fiber on fiber on fiber and also even being scared of carbs you know just like eating fiber for every meal and it's so bad for your body
1: like Mm -hmm. i don't you don't Mm -hmm.
0: even realize that i was talking in a recent podcast this girl she specializes in gut health and she was saying how sometimes it's healthier to eat a pizza than to eat a kale salad because that kale salad might not be good for your gut because there's just so much fiber and it's very hard to digest so -hmm. I think that's so important to recognize that not all quote-unquote healthy foods is actually healthy for you if you only eat that way
1: yeah exactly it's all about diversity
0: (laughs) yeah exactly this is I love this conversation so much and before we end this fun chat, <laughs> I wanted to ask you if listeners could take away one lesson from our conversation, what would you say that would be? Hmm. I don't want to put you on the spot, but. <laughs>
1: I think I, I, I know. Uh, I would probably say be mindful about what you see on the internet and trust yourself <laughs> yeah. because you know what's best for you.
0: Definitely, 100%. And for my last question of the podcast, I feel like you might've heard this before because you listen to my podcast, yes. but <laughs> I ask everyone who comes onto my show, uh, since our podcast is called It's Growing Season, I believe that just like crops, humans go through different seasons in their life. So I wanted to ask you, how would you define this specific season in your life?
1: Hmm, I would probably say I'm like in- the regrowth period I don't know I feel like winter just passed by and like killed me and
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh, and so now I'm like sprouting I'm sprouting again (laughs) yay oh this is amazing thank you so much for taking the time I'm so happy that we got to connect over Instagram now we're having this conversation for listeners who are curious to learn more about you where can they find you and where can they find your content
1: They can just find me on my oatmeal Instagram. It's at Wees Oats, W-E-E-S Oats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and feel free to DM me if you ever have any questions or just want to connect.
0: Yeah, and check out her website too. She has amazing blog posts. Yes, (laughs) yes. It's in my, the link is in my Instagram bio. Yay, awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that we got to connect and just thank you for sharing your story and your experiences with us today.
1: Yeah, and hopefully we can meet in person one day, Maggie.
0: I know. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave me a review and give me a follow. And you can also find me on my Instagram at mags.lee and at It's Growing Season, as well as my website, which is growwithmaggie.com. And you'll be able to find all of this in the show notes below. Thank you so much again for taking the time to listen and I hope to see you in a future episode. Bye everybody.